This is the Swallier Pride Podcast, and today's guest is Lisa Johnson. And before I even get into this bio, you guys, I am so excited for this episode. So excited for you all to hear this episode because there are so many things in this episode that were totally mind-blowing to me. And Lisa, I think she just has the most unique job, the coolest job, in my honest opinion, sounds like horrible and boring. (laughs) But it is so, so, so necessary and so important. And I'm so grateful to people like her that we have in our field to help navigate all this stuff. And so I'll read her bio and then I'll get into it a little bit more because I'm, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode. So Lisa Johnson received her master's degree in communication science and disorders from the University of Minnesota Duluth. She's an SLP clinical mentor and rehab program development specialist. She holds ASHA C's. She's a member of ASHA Special Interest Group 13, a member of the Twin Cities Speech Language Pathology Organization. She's a mentor for the MedSLP Collective and has 15 years of experience as an SLP. She's a certified dementia-capable care trainer, positive approach to care dementia educator, and Alzheimer's outreach mentor. She sits on the Leadership and Corporate Sponsors Board for Dementia Action Alliance, the Evidence-Based Practices Committee for Faith Community Nurse Network, and is a collaborative program partner for ACP and ICAA. Her clinical focus includes work with subacute care facilities, transitional care units, rehab and skilled nursing facilities, home health and outpatient clinics, focusing on interdisciplinary care, program development, CMS regulations and requirements across care settings for patient and clinician education. She spends her free time with her family. She enjoys coaching, curling, and can almost be found with a coffee in her hand. So she is the go-to for all things CMS, Medicare, Medicaid, insurance, regulations, billing, like I said, all that horribly boring stuff that literally drives what we do every day in clinical practice. And the way she talks about it, she makes it so easy to understand. But what this topic is so, so important is, is really productivity, which I know drives all of us absolutely insane. But, you know, why some, some of these productivity uh, measures are different than others. And she really dives into the reasoning why and sort of what we can do about it in our facility if it just seems not fair. So Lisa, I'm super grateful to have you on and I hope you all really enjoy this episode. I know I was like, I just am envisioning that like mind blown emoji when I was listening to that, when I was <laughs> having this conversation with her, because there were so many things that were just crazy. So hope you all enjoy this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and founder of the MetaSLP Collective and MetaSLP Education. This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you are a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. This means that together we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Teamwork makes the dream work like peanut butter and jelly or two peas in a pod. 
However you want to describe it, collaboration with empathy and compassion is a beautiful thing, especially in healthcare. If you agree, then I hope you'll join us on May 20th and May 21st for our free online virtual medical SLP summit, which we're calling the Dynamic Duos. Learn from 14 medical SLPs and 14 interdisciplinary professionals they work with. We'll be joined by the likes of a trauma surgeon, pediatric cardiologist, neonatologist, pelvic floor physical therapist, gastroenterologist, radiologist, laryngologist, and more who have all teamed up for better patient outcomes, and we're bringing that world to you for free. You can register at metaslpcollective.com forward slash summit, where you can also get access to the recordings and ASHA CEUs. Again, that's medslpcollective.com forward slash summit. Look forward to seeing you there. Hello, my friend. Hi, how are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I feel like I've known you for so long and I've seen you so little lately and I don't like it. So welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. All right. So tell the people a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Lisa Johnson. I am a speech language pathologist. I've been practicing for about 15 years now. I work primarily in skilled nursing, kind of my my passion area. And I really focus on program development and compliance and reimbursement for not only speech pathology, but occupational therapy, physical therapy, nursing collaboration. So I get to see all of it, all the workings in the background. Yeah. Yeah. And I always say, I think you have like the absolute most like boringest job in the whole wide world, like something that no one ever wants to deal with, yet you make it like so easy to understand and like, dare I say fun. So, so thank you. Thank you for being you. (laughs) I love what I do. Somebody's gotta, somebody's gotta love the background work. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it is so important. It's, it's essentially what drives the bus for what we do. So, okay. So, what are we gonna dive into today? So, we're gonna be talking about productivity. And you know, I've kind of shied away from this topic, and really, I think it's gaining more—not notoriety. That's not the right word, but more attention whether that's negative or positive. Um, I know I was kind of going through social media a little bit and looking at productivity and how it's being talked about and what's out there, who's saying what about it. And I think we need to start talking about it more and we need to frame the conversation a little bit differently. So I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So yeah, let's dive in. Where, where do we want to start? Well, I think let's just start with the basics. What is productivity? So I'm going to be talking about productivity really from that skilled nursing mindset. Um, That's where my expertise lies. So starting with what is productivity? When we talk about pure productivity, we're talking about billable minutes for a CPT code. Pure productivity, what you are ethically and legally allowed to bill and the number of minutes you do that for and how many minutes you have in your workday that you're paid for. So when we look at productivity, a lot of times I think we skew the conversation. We start talking about productivity in this way that it's this metric that fuels skilled nursing. And I think that's the wrong way to look at the conversation. Or when we look at productivity, we talk about how to be a more productive therapist instead of talking about it in the mind frame of how do you better manage your time, 
what tools and resources are available for you. And really, are we talking about productivity, pure billable CPT minutes, or are we talking about being efficient, being effective therapists and bringing that overall productive outcome to the organization? So really breaking down those walls, I think, is important and recognizing what are we talking about when we say productivity? What's interesting is like when I think of when I worked in skilled nursing 15 years ago was when I you know, started right after my CF and I just knew I, I had to meet this number. But if I didn't, it was like I just sort of had to tell my boss why. And it was like, well, I had extra documentation or I had extra like family meetings or I had extra phone calls I had to make. And it was always like, OK, but. I just had to sort of justify what I was doing with my time, which I don't think is terrible. But then I think at some point, like along the lines, things just went horribly awry. And it's like, you have to hit this 80%. And and if you don't, you're a terrible therapist. And it just puts so much stress and pressure on SLPs. And I just, you know, I, I, I think the interesting part was like PT and OT were always like, well, we can hit 95%. Like, why can't you guys hit even 80? <laughs> you know, there's always like these conversations back and forth, which, which just stinks. But I'm excited to, today to really just talk about how we can not, not even reframe it, but actual like tools and solutions as to what this looks like and what it, what it means for these companies that, that are trying to run a business that have to run a business to keep us employed. Right. Right. And I think, you know, framing the conversation a little bit differently before I came on and I was like, I want to talk about productivity. I Googled productivity and skilled nursing. And it was interesting. The first five articles that came up were all articles from EMR software companies and basically how to be a productive skilled nursing facility or how to make sure your therapy team is productive. So really talking about it from a financial metric. Um, and these are the software companies that all of us use. There's not a lot out there, but they're the ones that are driving these metrics, driving these algorithms. And I thought it was really interesting. The first article that came up, which is from one of the larger skilled nursing EMR companies, said productivity as a healthcare metric fuels skilled nursing efficiency from compliance and billing patient engagement and also the quality of care and quality of life for our therapists. And that's what is the first thing you see when you look up productivity. So if I'm a administrator, if I'm an organization and I'm saying, okay, what's going to help me meet my bottom line? And I look at these EMR companies and they're telling me that productivity is the number one thing I should look at. We're already missing the boat. Yes. Yeah. And I talk to administrators, I talk to executive directors all the time. And the first thing we always hear is, what is your therapist productivity? And I'm very fortunate. I work for an organization where we look at patients over productivity. Yes, productivity is a metric that's out there, but it's not the metric we use. And I think looking at it from a different way is, and taking the emotion out of productivity. Productivity yeah. is just a number. It's a metric. How do we use it? What does it mean? But I, I was just, <laughs> I was kind of blown away at the way productivity was talked about from this management standpoint, from this executive standpoint of this is the way you measure success. And I feel like a lot of our therapists, that's what they're told too. Yes. That productivity is how you measure your success as a clinician. 
And that's absolutely false. It's, it's so, it's funny. We're having this conversation. I was at a conference last weekend and there's just a lot of stuff that was said that I just was like, huh? Like, And I couldn't figure out what was bothering me about it. And then I was like, I just kept listening. I kept listening. And then like about six hours in, I was like, that's because none of this is about the patients. Like none of this is about the patient at all. And that's literally what we do, why we got into this, why we do what we do is to help patients. And I very much understand we need to have good quality of life as well. We need to feel supported and have career fulfillment. But like we get that by helping patients. Like we feel good about ourselves when we help patients and they get better and they go home. And that was just the whole like takeaway I had from that whole conference. Like I was just like, you guys just totally missed the point. Like, how about we focus on patient outcomes? Like, is this a, is this a new concept? Like it didn't seem, I I don't know. I I get really fired up about this, but it's ridiculous. It is. It is. And I, I, (laughs) I had a very interesting conversation. One of the speech pathologist that I mentor. She's new to geriatrics, new to the skilled nursing environment. She works for another organization. And she called me the other week. And I think that's part of the reason I was like, you know, I want to talk about this. And she's like, I'm on a performance action plan. Like I'm not hitting my productivity requirement. She's two months out of her CF. This is her first time in geriatrics. Her productivity requirement is 88%. And I told her, I was like, okay, well, let's Let's look at it a little differently. Why don't you go ahead? Let me know what you're doing during your day. Just do a time study for me. And then we can figure out how we're going to talk about this to your director, to your supervisor. And let's look at it from, okay, time management wise, what are you doing? Are there inefficiencies? Because maybe there are. Or do we need to frame it differently and look at what is your algorithm? How is productivity being looked at in your organization? And do we need to frame it a little bit differently? Maybe we need to have a discussion of what are your next career steps? Yeah. And what I found was interesting is I started looking and I pulled up the ASHA healthcare survey, the one that came out for 2019. And, you know, because I couldn't believe I was telling this clinician that I mentor, like, maybe we should look at a different career option for you. Yeah. But the ASHA Health Survey says 25% of clinicians leave skilled nursing because of productivity, which is insane. Yeah. And then we have clinicians who, you know, the average age of a skilled nursing clinician is 38. And we look at that and then we see all of these new clinicians coming in who get through their clinical fellow and then leave. Mm-hmm. And what are we doing for our profession when we're telling these clinicians that, 85, 90% is just the norm. It's quote unquote, unfortunate frowny face and just deal with it. Yeah. Cause we've been dealing with it for 10, 15 years. I'm like, have we really been dealing with it or have we just been finding ways to push it under the rug? And I mean, there's so many things wrong with how we look at productivity. It's just, there was a research study that was done out of Texas. I want to say it was Hardin University that looked at productivity and how it fuels healthcare outcomes. And they did a pre-PDPM. They knew that PDPM was coming. So they did a pre-PDPM study. And they're also currently doing a reanalysis of the same metrics, the same, basically the same healthcare study. 
And what they were looking at was, is there a link between high productivity and fraudulent practices? So, you know, using that theory of if we get rid of, you know, the rug system, move to PDPM, we should hopefully see this decrease of metrics driven by minutes. But I was, I was astounded at what came out of their study. Over 50% of clinicians felt that their productivity expectations were unrealistic to meet. 60% of them said that they had engaged in unethical practices due to the fear of being fired or reprimanded. Mm -hmm. Like 60% of clinicians living in fear every day. And over 87% reported that productivity was what drove their clinical decision-making. I, I believe it. I, I can't tell you. I mean, I probably get, I don't know, maybe three, four messages a week um, just from younger clinicians or or like CFs or something that, you know, they're like, oh, you know, hi, Teresa, I'm the only SLP in my building. I know you used to work in skilled nursing. My productivity requirements are like 95%. I'm not allowed to document on the job. I have to do all my documentation at home. Like, I feel like this is killing my soul, like all this stuff. And I'm like, you need to leave this place. Like I, I used to like try to like sugarcoat things. I don't know, but, but it's, it's, it's so crazy now because, and, and, and I know we can talk about this more. There are some facilities that have figured it out. They have figured out that patient outcomes. <laughs> And, and getting patients what they need to get better is what drives a profitable, biz- profitable business, which is what keeps SLPs happy and feeling fulfilled. And these other companies that are trying to find these shortcuts and using productivity as the be all end all is not the answer. And I, I don't know, like, I mean, I just always say, like, I think it's 50 50. I think they're 50 percent of the facilities are crappy. And I think 50 percent are wonderful. You know, I work with some now that. I would send my grandparent to, I would send my parent to, I would recommend an SLP go work there because they, the SLPs there are happy. They're, they're allowed to have their productivity fluctuate on a day to day. They get good outcomes for their patients. And, and I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this today. And I know we'll stop whining and actually give some cheese to go with the wine in a little bit, but like, yeah, I, I, I'm glad we're talking about this. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's so easy to say, just don't do it. Right. Just find something else. And unfortunately, for a lot of clinicians, that's not possible. I mean, you look at newer clinicians coming into the field and, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, I feel so blessed that we now have social media to help us Mm -hmm. communicate to these newer clinicians to help them recognize that this should not be the norm. Mm -hmm. But the answer for a lot of individuals isn't, I can leave. Mm -hmm. But giving them those tools to recognize, here's what's ethical, here's what's legal, here is what Health and Human Services says, here is what the False Claims Act says, here is what all of these organizations say and back you up. And really looking at it, honestly, you're not going to get fired for productivity because you can't be. What you get fired for is unethical. You cannot get fired for crappy productivity. If you are ethically billing, if you are documenting true skilled treatment, and if you are getting outcomes for your patients, clinical driven outcomes, you cannot be fired ethically. But what you can be fired for is working off the clock. 
is for shortcutting your documentation, is for sitting there, coming into your clinic, not clocking in or rolling up and rolling back your clock, rounding your minutes. And these are all things that multiple research studies have found clinicians do to boost and enhance their productivity because that's the culture of the workplace. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to talk about what is the culture of where you work? And are you feeding into it because of this abstract fear of being fired? It is not mm -hmm. okay for you to be harassed about being productive or not being productive. Yes, can we talk about your time management strategies and the fact that you probably shouldn't be chatting with Susie CNA for 15 minutes every time you walk past the nurse's station? Yeah, we can talk about that. That's a time management issue. But are you being productive? Is your conversation productive? Not billable, but productive for patient outcomes. You know, the clinician I was talking about earlier, I had asked her to do that time study. I said, okay, just take your day, walk through your day, document what you're doing. And it was really interesting to see, um, you know, on average, she has six to eight patients a day. And she comes in 7.30 to 4 o'clock is her schedule. And she told me what her productivity was. And I looked at it, I was like, how is this possible? You know, she walked through her day and I was like, okay, that's, you know, that's a pretty productive day. You, you're seeing your patients, your time looks pretty efficient. I'm not seeing these big gaps in what you're doing. Like there's no wasted time. And she told me her productivity on average is around 56 to 60%. I'm like, okay, well, let's look at that. So I pulled up her algorithm based on her software company. And we use the same software company. I have access to go into hers because of my supervisory and HIPAA rights with that. And I ended up plugging her schedule into the algorithm that our organization uses. The time study day we looked at, she was 52.9% productive based on her company's algorithm. Based on our organization's algorithm, she was 78.5% productive and 85.4% efficient during her day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I asked her, I said, okay, well, what did your, what did your manager, what did your manager say to do? Her manager is also a speech pathologist. I said, what did your DOR tell you when you showed her this time study? She goes, well, she highlighted the areas where I should have clocked out or should have billed for patient time. I was like, what do you mean should have billed or should have clocked out for? You're there for work. Like, yeah, you should be clocking out for lunch. Yep. Because that's what you're attesting to, that you took a 30-minute uninterrupted, non-working lunch. And if you're working, you need to be on the clock. And what was highlighted on her time study was she should have started the clock the minute she touched the patient's room. I'm like, so those four or five minutes where you weren't doing anything skilled? She's like, yep, that was what was highlighted. The time that the nurse came in to give meds. Her director said, well, you should have been assessing the swallow during medication. I'm like, is that one of your goals? Is that a deficit for the patient? Nope. Okay, then you shouldn't be billing any of that time. She was told that she couldn't clock any of her mandatory training time oh my god as time like she had to clock out for training what? clock out for education that she should have clocked out while she was using the bathroom 
because that's considered a break. And the time that she was overseeing the fees, because she was not the clinician that was administering the fees, that she shouldn't have been on the clock for that because another clinician was on the clock for that. So her manager went through and she had over 60 minutes of minutes that her director said, this shouldn't even be on your time clock. And that would have artificially inflated her productivity to hit her metric. I'm like, and this is what our clinicians are being told. This is what our managers are telling them to do, that attending a care conference isn't appropriate time, that attending interdisciplinary meetings is not appropriate time. But yet we want to have these really good outcomes. And it just leads to these unethical practices. Mm-hmm. So I wanted, I did some more digging. I'm like, okay, so what do we do in these situations? And it was interesting how overwhelmingly I heard clinicians say that <laughs> not only is this the norm, but you should just leave. You should just leave these unethical practices or that there's no way that these businesses can still be in business if they're that unethical. Okay, well, let's let's go down that route. If these unethical practices are getting caught, if we're truly being ethical in our billing, in our time management, then these billing organizations, these therapy companies shouldn't be in business anymore. In 2019 alone, seven different large rehab companies were brought in front of OIG, had multi-million dollar settlements. And they are still the largest rehab organizations in the United States. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a different change that we talk about, a different culture shift that we talk about. And it's not enough to say, just leave the company. Or if they're unethical enough, if they have enough whistleblowers, that the company's not going to exist anymore. Because we know that's not true. But we have to change the narrative and starting with not only our newer clinicians, but our experienced clinicians. We can't perpetuate the cycle of it's okay to have this culture of unethical billing practices and recognizing what we're doing as clinicians. And I think a lot of clinicians don't want to recognize or don't take the time because they're so caught up in it. Like, this is just the norm. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate because we're doing a disservice, not only at the front end, but also at the back end. I could, you know, I could talk about that forever, but. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I love I love everything that you're saying. I think, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm one of those people that I'm just like, oh my God, you need to leave this place. But then the other part of me is like, I'm not a quitter, right? So like, what can we do to find these sorts of solutions? And what can, you know, some of these veteran SLPs that have been around, that have been around through, you know, the rug levels that that have been through, you know, PDPM, all these different changes. And, and yeah, I mean, it's got to start with, with us and, and just really changing the culture. So yeah, yeah, let's, let's dive into that. I mean, how do you think we have these conversations? How do we navigate these conversations? I'm still like dumbfounded that your algorithm software is even different than theirs. Yeah. And I think part of it is we have to understand the metrics that we're looking at. I mean, Mm -hmm. first and foremost, you need to know how your productivity is calculated. 
uh, that's the starting place. Like know what your metrics are. Are you being looked at for pure billable productivity? So your CPT code minutes, or are you being looked at as more of a total productivity in the sense of what drives patient outcomes? A good manager in, you know, this is kind of how I look at it. And fortunately, how the organization I work for looks at it is a good manager looks at programming needs of the residents of the facility. They look at ensuring that the staff, that the therapists have the knowledge, the skill set, and they're consistently looking at that overall programming need. Is that the focus of your community? The programming need, the skill sets, the knowledge set. If not, we need to look at it differently. Productivity is always going to matter, but it's how we look at that metric. It is a, a shift. It is a balance. You know, as a director, I have an obligation to ensure that not only my clinicians have the highest ethical standard, but they have the skill set to do what I'm asking them to do. But I also have to manage the fact that we need to make money because if we're not making money, we can't pay you, can't keep the doors open, can't meet our mission. But it doesn't mean that productivity trumps everything. We have to look at different metrics. So what are the metrics? Not only how is productivity looked at, but what other metrics are going into the conversation? Are you looking at cost per minute? Are you looking at the cost ratio to the therapist? Are we looking at what components of the overall clinical programming impact patient outcomes? Me spending 25 minutes educating CNAs on oral hygiene versus attempting to do one, two, in-services here and there with whomever I can catch, while yes, it might not be billable productivity, the outcome oversees that. It's so much more than just, I'm able to bill this much time. And yes, Mm -hmm. there have to be metrics. There have to be standards. We have to have somewhere, but it shouldn't be a blanket. Everybody in the community has to be 87% productive. That's not realistic. And having the same productivity expectations for PT, OT, speech, CODA, PTA for every building across your organization, that's not realistic. The productivity standards need to be individually matched, facility matched, setting and clinical complexity matched, and recognizing what can be billable under the CPT and what can't. So that's another thing is As a clinician, do you understand your CPT code billing? Do you understand what your LCD says in what is actually billable and what is not? I know I have clinicians reach out to me. They're like, I'm going to do a dysphagia group so I can increase my productivity. (laughs) Because, you know, that's why they're being told to do some of these groups, but their LCD doesn't allow it. Can you just just explain what LCDs and maps are? Oh, yeah. So your local coverage determination. So essentially, this is the interpretation of Medicare guidelines for billing based on what your region is or what your Medicare efficient is. So for our organization, we have three different LCDs that we have to look at. In some of our local coverage determinations, group billing for speech pathologists for dysphagia is not even discussed. For others, it very clearly states we can only do group with um, speech language, communication, cognition, and voice. 
So making sure you understand that is important. Um, can you use the group code? Can you do use 92507? Can you not? Is it a code available for you? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do groups. That's not at all what I'm saying. I think groups have an amazing impact on patient outcomes. It's an amazing way to look at carryover skills in a real environment, but it shouldn't be used to drive a productivity metric. And also some organizations artificially inflate the productivity based on the algorithm in their computer. So same software system, I plugged in, you know, what would happen if I had a group of four for an hour? One algorithm made it so I was over 400% productive. The other algorithm just marked it as an hour. So knowing that helps as well. What goes into that metric? What goes into that algorithm? I think that's where you have to start is how is that metric looked at? Do you, do you think, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but do you think a lot of these facilities even understand what, what their algorithm? Okay. No, not at all. Not at all. And what really made me dive into our algorithms a little bit more was we, we had to switch software companies, um, a while back with our EMR and the customization that is needed behind the scenes to make sure that essentially your algorithms, your metrics, um, your projections meet the mission of your organization. So a lot of the software companies are created to be revenue generating um, algorithms, essentially. So if my contract, for example, said that I need to hit this CMG, this case mix index, in order to have this much billable revenue to meet the salary, the benefits, and still make a profit. That's how a lot of the software algorithms are put into place. And then they will go through and they'll say, okay, based on your diagnosis codes, based on your case mix index, this is the projected number of eval minutes, treatment minutes, treatment days to meet this revenue quota that you've put in on the back end. So when you see your schedule, say your schedule comes out and it says you have, you know, 17 minutes here, you have 18 minutes with this patient, you have 37 with this patient, you have this weird eval for 21 minutes, 22 minutes. A lot of that is based on a projection algorithm to meet a revenue. And your productivity is also done that way in the background. So in order to, let's say, say we have to meet a specific patient quota, you may be plugged into your schedule, not by the clinician, but by the algorithm. You need to have 11 patients at this many minutes for each patient, this many billable CPTs for this many minutes to equal 88% productivity. So it's all done on the back end to meet a revenue. And that's what you're given kind of as a, as a blanket template. But some organizations, they just take that because that's what the EMR says. And the EMR, you know, that's supposed to be who's guiding some of the stuff, making it easier for some of these organizations. But also on the productivity, what goes into that? We spent a lot of time going into our software algorithm and pulling out different pieces that the software was saying were not productive. But as an organization, we say, yes, this is productive time because this helps meet your patient outcomes. 
So things like care conferences, things like our interdisciplinary team meetings, our rehab rounds, training and education. And, And that was a huge one that really surprised me. I will always have clinicians reaching out to me and they'll say, um, do I put this on my time clock or where do I put it? Is this considered productive time? I found out that a lot of our newer clinicians to our organization weren't attending our education sessions because they were worried about the productivity. So we had to very purposefully reach out and say, you know, the expectation is that you attend these educations and they are paid for. They will not impact your productivity. Yeah. And that's based on our company's algorithm. Yeah. That's, this is just crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like part of me is thinking like, okay, we have these like, you know, the CFOs that sort of construct all of the, you know, finances and the breakdowns and everything over here. And then we also have like the DORs that are actually giving out the minutes over here. And I feel like if we're thinking about it, it's like the monkeys and the otters at the zoo. Like <laughs> yeah. nobody's like, they they are not interacting at all. Like that's what, what's going on in my brain in that, you know, these have to be conversations of like, well, no, it needs to look like this. It needs to look like this. It's not just this person says A, so this person has to say B and now you're the SLP and, and deal with this. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And you, like, if you think back to the example I gave of the clinician I mentor, based on the two algorithms, she was either meeting productivity or not. And so it would be really easy for me to go to that community executive director and say, you know, based on her productivity with our software, she is meeting productivity expectations. But what does that mean? Is she getting the good outcomes? Is she getting the metrics? for the the resident versus just, you know, anybody can see patients, anybody can hit minutes, but are we truly skilling? Are we truly treating our residents or are we just hitting minutes to hit minutes? I was interested at a lot of the studies. There was a study that came out recently by Coat and Duffy and they looked at quality metrics in relation to productivity. So does a highly productive, a billable productive therapist equal higher quality metrics? Because we keep driving with a productivity metric. And what they found was that productivity over 85%, if you were averaging over 85% billable productivity, you actually had lower outcomes, lower quality metrics. You had higher returns to hospitalization. You had higher incidences of pressure injury, um, pressure ulcer, skin integrity metrics. So your quality metrics on the CMS side were lower when you had higher productive billable therapists. And we have these administrators and these executive directors who are being told by the software companies, higher productivity is what makes efficiency. It should be your key indicator. And that's, yeah. that's not all. Right. If, if you don't have the time, if you don't allow therapists the time to appropriately treat the residents, appropriately identify and screen residents for therapy, you're not going to have great outcomes. And I think a lot of it, you know, we could, we could easily blame the system, but that's not going to get us anywhere. But we do have to recognize what goes into it. 
recognize that in the Midwest, we actually have some of the highest managed care contracts. So our managed insurance is incredibly high. It's over 52%. Uh, we have some of the highest in, in the U.S. for our aging population. And those contracts influence how we look at productivity. And oftentimes I will talk to, talk to therapists who are in management, who are in director positions, both with and, and outside of the organization I'm with. And I'll ask them, okay, what does your contract say for this managed care insurance? And they don't know. So if I'm being told by my contract that my executive director has signed that based on this patient's diagnosis, I am only allowed, quote unquote, allowed to bill 30 minutes with this patient for my treatment sessions for 10 days, let's say. And my treatment sessions with them, because it's clinically indicated to spend more time with them, are averaging 40, 50 minutes. I can either on one end, which I've heard therapists do, and it it makes me cringe when I hear this, is they will only report the time that's allowable for their billing. So these other 10, 15, 20 minutes are left in this weird, it's patient time, but it's not technically productive because I couldn't bill it, but it needs to be accounted for versus just saying, you know, I, I spent this much time with the patient. This is how much I billed because this is how much time they clinically needed to reach their goals. And that's what we need to be doing. But we have to recognize that all of these other things are at play and I find a lot of times, and I myself was guilty of this as, as a newer director. Um, I came from an organization that productivity was what you looked at. It was the metric. And I didn't know any better because nobody ever told me. It was all I knew. It yeah. Was it was all, all I, I ever knew. knew. No one ever talked about productivity in graduate school. And we didn't have, you know, at that time we, we kind of had Facebook, but it wasn't what it was now. There was no social media to reach out to other therapists to talk about what is productivity? What does this even mean? It was just like, here's your productivity. You need to meet it. Oh, and by the way, as a director, you're incentivized when your team hits the productivity. As a regional, you're incentivized when your therapy teams, plural, hit this productivity algorithm. But we're not going to tell you really how you can do that. You could just have to figure it out. And then you're in charge of writing up your therapist when they don't hit this algorithm. So we're creating this culture that just breeds unethical practices. Yeah. Instead of talking about why is productivity important? What does it mean? Yeah. I I have two thoughts. I want to go back and revisit the, um, that you can't get fired for your productivity. I want to go back and revisit that in, in a minute. Another thing. So Right now in, in PhD school, I just finished a class called healthcare leadership and we had an entire week module on productivity. And there was another guy that was in one of my classes and he's a PT and he's also in a, in a director administrative role of a big healthcare system. And he said that they're piloting a program right now that is only based on patient outcomes. So the essentially, he said they haven't switched to this model completely, but the therapist will get paid based on the outcomes that they get for their patients. So it's like there is a like a base salary they would get, but then there's like a bonus commission structure based on the outcomes. So it's not productivity at all. It's 
are you doing what's best for the patient and are you getting the patient's outcomes to get them out the door home healthy and safe? And it was such an interesting conversation because half the people were like, that's terrible. That's not how healthcare is supposed to be. (laughs) And then the other half was like, well, that's, I mean, that's what we signed up for. We signed up to help patients get better and go home, you know? So it's, it was, it was one of my most favorite conversations because I think it just put so many different perspectives out there that like, clearly the model we have right now is not working. Right. Um, and, and what can be done. And, and even if it's not, you know, switching completely to this other model, it's what little tweaks, what little shifts could we put in to make it so that it's manageable for everybody? So, um, yeah, that being said, I, I do want to go back and, and talk about, you said you can't be fired for productivity. Yeah. So I, I think there is this, there's this fear in, in therapists and you know, I had the same fear when I was a younger therapist. I was like, oh my gosh, if I don't meet my productivity, I'm going to get fired. But when you actually look at it, first of all, it's really hard to fire somebody. We're just going to put that out there right now. It's really, (laughs) really hard from an HR standpoint to fire somebody unless you are found to be unethically billing. That is the easiest way and the most clear cut, dry way to let a therapist go is if you are unethically billing, you can be let go immediately. You don't even have to do the three step, five step, six step, whatever your HR has in place. If you are unethically billing, you will be let go, cut and dry. But productivity, if you have an organization, first of all, is your productivity standards in writing? Let's start there. Is it part of your HR, part of your policy manual, part of your procedure? Is it part of your employee handbook? Is it part of your job description? Does your job description specifically say, and you have to sign your job description when you come on to a job saying, I agree, this is my description, this is what I'm agreeing to. Did your job description say you have to meet 88% productivity? Was that part of your job description? If not, there's no grounds. But looking at that further, Let's say for whatever example, for whatever reason, your productivity is 88% productive. That's the metric you have to meet. And let's say that your metric is based purely on billable CPT productivity, 88% productive. So that means that essentially in a 480 minute day, 70, I don't have it right in front of me, but like 70 minutes is all you have to not be one-on-one directly billing with a resident. You're asked to attend one care conference the patient doesn't show up to. And maybe this is somebody who you're working on swallowing with and you're going to a care conference talking about PT, OT discharge planning and speech. Not a billable thing under a CPT code. But if you're billing it, you can be let go for that. It's when you talk just about productivity, the reason people say that they're fired because they didn't meet productivity is because they're actually fired for unethical billing practices. They're fired for being billing off the clock. They're fired for uh, not billing off the clock, for working off the clock. They're not fired for productivity. When you, you really look at it, you are not fired for productivity. You're fired because of the things that you did that were not ethical, not legal to meet that productivity expectation. And again, based on whatever your company's algorithm is for that. There's so many different suits that come to light regarding fair labor laws. So 
the FLSA, so the Fair Labor Laws state that you have to be paid for any off-the-clock work. If you are working off-the-clock, you have to be paid for it. On the flip side, if you are working off-the-clock, you can get fired for working off-the-clock when you're not supposed to be. So you, we have to make sure that we understand and that we're not doing these unethical things. It's not the productivity that gets you fired. It is the unethical things you are doing, like upcoding, misreporting your therapy time, billing for things that aren't actually skilled, or falsifying your time card. That's what you get fired for. It's not productivity. But it's under the guise of how you meet your productivity expectations. Because realistically, I, <laughs> I've i been working for 15 years in skilled nursing. I don't know if I've ever been over 85% productive. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I don't even know mathematically how it is possible. Because, yes, we could talk about all of the, the tips and tricks to have better time management doing point-of-care documentation, being prepared, being organized, um, carrying your clipboard with all of your supplies, making sure you're scheduling your patients appropriately. We could talk about all those time management things, but we don't live in a perfect world. I mean, I think in a perfect day, and I had an amazing rehab aide who literally, like, I would have patients sitting at the door, and she would wield one out, and the other one would come in. I still wouldn't hit my 88% productivity. Yeah. And I was in a perfect setting. Yeah. Because I think I, I, I figured it out one day. It was like, if I went to the bathroom twice, I couldn't hit 90% productivity. Right. Right. Like it's, it's as silly as that. It's, <laughs> it's insane. And when you look at it, like when you look at the breakdown, like just purely looking at the math in order to be 85% billably productive. So billing CPT codes, you have to be directly treating for 408 minutes. That leaves you 72 minutes to do, quote unquote, non-billable tasks. That doesn't mean you're not doing productive things. That doesn't mean you're not doing things that drive positive patient outcomes. But 72 minutes isn't a lot of time. I mean, (laughs) one of the communities I work at, it takes three and a half minutes for the elevator to go from the basement to the fifth floor. Three and a half minutes. And I can certainly tell you, I don't have all of my patients on the fifth floor. And if I do, something's really wonky with my day. Yeah. (laughs) So like when I look at, you know, and I I have therapists who reach out to me, they're like, well, how do you, how do you figure it out? Like, how do you do a time study? How do I know if I'm being productive enough, quote unquote, starting out purely with your time, with your minutes? Um, you know, from a management standpoint, when I look at productivity, when I look at time analysis, and I talk about it more in the the fact of what does your time management look like? So let's start out with your eight-hour day. You have 480 minutes in your day, eight hours. So I'm going to start by removing the state-mandated breaks, if there are any. So that's 30 minutes right there in some places. Any mandatory meetings. And I say mandatory meetings because if you are asked to go to a meeting, it's mandatory. If you are highly encouraged, if you're suggested to go to a meeting, if it's on your schedule, it is being mandated. And and I think we fool ourselves in saying that like, oh, well, I don't technically have to, but 
if I don't, they're going to ask me why I didn't go. And then I'm going to get harassed. And then I'm, you know, all of these things. If it's on your schedule, it's being mandated. Taking out the physical distance and travel time. So for me, three and a half minutes every time I hop in that elevator. Yes. Taking out the time it takes to print your schedule, to fire up your computer, any time spent in care conferences. Because a lot of the times we'll say like they're billable, but are they really billable time? Are you really doing skilled treatment the entire time you're in that care conference? Any bathroom breaks? Most bathroom breaks. There was some study that said the average bathroom break takes five minutes and 47 seconds, including the minute to wash your hands. (laughs) So, okay. How many times do you have to go to the bathroom? Yeah. And then starting there, that is your starting point for potentially available time to be billable. And most of the time you've already taken away that 72 minutes to even hit that 85% productivity. And starting there, that starts and gives you a more realistic and accurate way to look at your time. What is actually available as billable time? And is it realistic that you're going to be billing all of that time? No, probably not. When the nurse comes in and interrupts me because there's a med pass during my session, I should not be billing that time. That is not skilled. I'm not doing anything skilled. When I have to go into the EMR and update orders, that is not skillable. That is not billable. But is it productive? Yes. Yes. Very different conversation. Is it skillable? Is it billable? Versus is it productive towards patient outcomes? Yeah. So looking at that a little bit differently. Yeah. Conversation I had with the, I need to go back and I had a a conversation with a, with a um, CF on Instagram a few weeks ago and she was saying anything that was not billable, she had to clock out for. So like if she needed to update orders or if she needed to, yeah, just write a quick note in EMR, she had to clock out to do that. And I was like, no, No, absolutely. What you are being asked to do is illegal according to fair labor laws. Like that is illegal. You must be paid for your work. Employees are required to compensate non-exempt employees. And this is the key thing, exempt versus non-exempt. Are you salary? Are you hourly? Yeah. And I think a lot of times we have therapists who are salaried as directors and their productivity, quote unquote, is artificially changing the metric for the team because their time on the clock is put in as eight hours in the algorithm. But they're there for more than eight hours because they're salary. They're doing work for more than eight hours because they're salary. Like I remember coming out some days where as the director, I'd be treating and I would have productivity that would come out at like 99%. I'm like, well, yeah, I was there for 13 hours treating, but because I'm salary, it only says I'm there for eight hours. And now I've artificially inflated the whole team's productivity. Mm-hmm. Yay for my regional, because now they get a bonus. So if we can't, the conversation has to be more than like, what is billable? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we do such a disservice by saying it's the norm to have this productivity. Yeah. But is it ethical? Is it appropriate? Is it even realistic? The norm. Yeah. yeah. If we want to talk about productivity, Let's talk about time management. How are you appropriately managing your time as a clinician? Are you managing your time appropriately? You know, I can work, I can work with clinicians who say, you know, my time management isn't great. 
I want to make sure I'm doing the best I can as a clinician for my residents. But I seem to have a lot of inefficient time in my day. Okay, let's look at that. That's something you can do as a manager, but not driving the conversation of you're not very productive. No, I'm not billing a lot of minutes. Let's find out why. And is it clinically appropriate? Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love this. I love this conversation, Lisa. Thank you so much. All right. So where, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? You know, I, I think, I think part of it is we just, we need to keep having the conversation. I mean, if you look at the health survey from ASHA, the 2019, it said that in skilled nursing, 53.5% of skilled nursing SLPs report working off the clock, either daily, weekly, or more than one time a month. Let's start there. Let's start capturing our unpaid time because that's what it is. It's unpaid time that we need to be paid for. Mm -hmm. So let's start by holding ourselves accountable. Let's start by talking about productivity differently. And I'm not saying you're going to be calling out your fellow therapist sitting next to you like, hey, uh, thought you were working over lunch. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying like have open and honest conversations about, okay, Susie SLP is hitting 90% productivity. How are you doing that? I, I want to find out what are you doing that I'm doing and how is it different? And having those open and honest conversations, because if we continue down the path that we're going, it's only going to get worse and we're mm -hmm. only going to be hurting our field. We're going to be hurting the patients that we're here for. None of us mm -hmm. got into this because we want to be productive little machines. We want to make an impact on patients. We want to make an impact on quality of life mm -hmm. and we want to be able to be skilled clinicians. So looking at what are you doing during your day? What is scalable? What is billable? And are you accounting for all of your time? Are you truly getting paid for what you do? I would love to see the next healthcare survey where we have less than 10% of skilled nursing therapists saying that they work off the clock because 10% of us are directors. And generally yeah. we end up working off the clock because we're salary. So we're never really off the clock. Yeah. So let, let's start there. Let's just start there and not force our new clinicians, our new CFs to this unrealistic expectation. Your clinical fellowship year is a year of learning. It is a year of education. I tell my CFs, you know, they'll talk to me, they'll, they'll say, well, I, I need to be very productive. I'm like, no, you need to learn. Yeah. You need to understand all of the intricacies of skilled nursing so you can be a good clinician. I don't want you to be a productive clinician. I don't want you to just produce billable CPT codes. I want you to make an impact on the patient's outcomes and quality of life. Let's let's start there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's such a powerful statement. Yeah, I, I think it's I think just starting with what is legal, what is not legal, what is ethical, what is not ethical, what is billable, what is not billable, what is still productive, even if it's not billable. I think the waters have just gotten so muddy that so many people just don't even know what is what, right. you know, it's, it's not black or white. It's not this or that it's, there's a lot of gray, a lot of nuanced in it. And it's just having these conversations with everybody involved so that party A is talking to party B and things just aren't put into place because we said so. So yeah, thank you for, thank you for starting this conversation. This is really powerful. And I hope 
hope so many SLPs can just take this information and hopefully make some changes in your facilities and have the conversations that need to be had. And, you know, really, I mean, it's, I don't know, I don't like saying like our profession depends on it, but like it, it really does. I mean, we're losing a lot of SLPs. A lot of SLPs are leaving skilled nursing because of this. And if we can make some changes, and and I feel like a lot of it is just people don't know where to start. People don't realize that these things can be nuanced and can be changed and flexed. And so thank you, Lisa. I think this is a really, really powerful conversation and, and I'm really, really happy we had it. Yes. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Any, any final thoughts? Just talk about it. Talk about it as a team. Reach out. There are resources out there. There are so many organizations, so many clinicians who are doing it ethically and who have that quality of life work clinician team balance. Like it is possible and it's possible to have an ethically driven organization that still makes money. Mm-hmm. It's possible. It's done. It's out there. So don't think that it's not, don't think that the one way is the only way. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, my friend. Appreciate you. Thank you. And that's a wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.